Well, good morning, New to Hope. It is so good to be back in the saddle with you. I, uh, I want to thank you personally for your prayers, for your cards, for meals, for people checking in through text and phone and all that over this last month as I've gone through cancer surgery and healing, and I'm almost there, still got probably a month to go here, but I'm good enough to be up here to yak at you, so that's good, right? So uh, thank you very much. The body of Christ matters. Being together, we're better together matters. It was so beautiful not to walk through what we walked through alone uh, for my wife, my kids, myself. Uh, And so being together in the family of God, meeting together is so critical. And thank you for the gift of your care and prayer. I really appreciate it so much. And as I was uh, up in Bram last week, I was celebrating as well. We got a text about 11 students on the youth retreat. 37 kids went up to camp. 11 students gave their life to Jesus Christ last Sunday at camp. And so we rejoice in that. Thank you for your support. You've helped send those kids there. Well, we're going into this new series in November here called Fish Stories, or I guess we could have called it Hunting Stories and that, but we're calling it Fish Stories because it's around Jesus. But I grew up fishing, and uh, I like hunting as well, but I grew up fishing, and here's a picture of me. Uh, This was taken on Lake of the Woods back in 1968. I was seven years old. Uh, You can see my nice little crooked smile even back then. Uh, being born with Bell's palsy, but uh, we loved fishing. We'd always go to the Lake of the Woods over the summer, but then we'd always, always go up to Rylander to uh, Sandy Lake uh, to a cabin up there in the summer, and we would fish. And I remember one time being up there, and, and the cousins came along, and that, so there were all these kids. And I'm at the end of nine kids, at the end of five brothers. And so we were going to go out fishing, and that morning my dad said, hey, I'm sorry, but there's not enough room in the boat. There's not enough room in the boats. Well, being the youngest, I got the boot, right? And so, well, you got to stay home with mom and the sisters and all that. And I'm like, really? Because when we fished, especially when we started fishing every day, it meant that you could make money. Because my dad always said, hey, the first fish was $5, the largest fish was $5, and the most fish anybody caught was $5. And I'm thinking, hey, $5? I mean, for a kid in 1968 when a candy bar was five cents, $5 was like $500 for a kid today uh, for their caribou, right? I mean, that's about what it was like back then. So I'm thinking, man, I'm going to lose money here. So they all went off. I'm throwing a little fit. Mom's got to deal with me and all that. And I decide, well, forget it. I'm just going to take my pole. I'm going to go down to the shoreline. I'm going to fish on my own. Fine. And that, and that morning, I pulled in a 36-inch northern. And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I couldn't wait for the brothers to get home and that to see if, if anybody had anything bigger because I knew that, hey, this is five bucks, you know. And sure enough, they didn't. And I had these bragging rights like for a long time of the biggest fish and catching the $5, even though they left me in the dust and left me home that day. But you know, we all have these fish stories, right? We all have these stories we like to tell. And 
maybe for you, it's a hunting story, fish story. It might be a needlepoint story. It might be whatever. I mean, whatever you're into, gardening, whatever it might be, bird watching and that. But we love telling these stories, right? And that's why we're calling this series Fish Stories because we just, we love to tell fish stories. We love to hear fish stories or we love to just in general hear stories. Also in the Bible, there's a lot of fish stories throughout the Bible. I mean, Jonah and the whale, right? And we have Jesus who is involved in a variety of fish stories. Uh, We read about how he comes up to Peter and the disciples on the shoreline, and he yells out to them, hey, how's it going out there? And they're saying, well, we haven't caught anything. He says, well, just throw your nets over to the right side of the boat. And, you know, professional fishermen, you're thinking like, right. You know, it's not, it's like six feet from here to here, really? And they caught so many fish that the net was going to break. Amazing. Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves of bread, two fish. I mean, it's amazing fish story right? And so the whole idea of this series is I want to challenge you and I to go out into our community where we live and tell people our stories about Jesus, about what Jesus has done in our lives when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our transformation. Because everybody likes stories and likes hearing stories, So we know that with every story, there is a main character. And the main character of this series is Jesus. And we want to tell people our Jesus stories. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says this. Then he told them, as you go into the world, proclaim the gospel to everyone. Proclaim the gospel to everyone. Now, the word gospel literally means the good news about Jesus. What's the good news about Jesus? The good news is that he came to pay for our sin on the cross, to pay our sin debt, to make us right with our heavenly father so that we could be in relationship with him in this life and for eternity. And that he comes in as well and transforms our life in ways that we can never do. He makes us end up looking more like Jesus and less like ourselves. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news, right? So just like we go into the world and tell our fish stories, I want us to go into the world and tell our Jesus stories. I want us to tell them at work. I want us to tell them in the grocery stores or at Fleet Farm. I want us to be out telling them in our neighborhoods or at our family gatherings, Wherever we are, I want us to be telling people about Jesus and what he's done in our life when it comes to saving us, our salvation, and the transformation of who we are. I guarantee you, when I received Jesus as 18 and now I'm 60, you know what? I'm a different man. He has transformed me in many, many ways. I guarantee you. I remember running into some teachers years ago from high school. They could not believe that I was who I was today. Literally, I mean, they were like, really? Like you're a pastor? Really? But it's like, well, it's Jesus. I could tell my Jesus story, right? It's an amazing thing. So when it comes to Jesus 
as the main character of our story of salvation and transformation, it's important that we are telling people about the Jesus of the Bible. When we talk about our Jesus stories, first of all, Jesus came as I am, not our invention. Jesus came as I am, not our invention. We didn't make him up, right? I mean, people over history have simply stated without any investigation that Jesus was simply a prophet. He's just a prophet. Jesus isn't a prophet. People say, well, he's just a good teacher. Jesus isn't a good teacher. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, writes the following. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend it. So Jesus himself didn't come and promote himself as this great moral teacher. He didn't promote himself as, hey, I'm a prophet. He didn't promote himself as well as just a godly man. He wasn't just a godly man. And then he didn't promote himself as a made-up me, meaning, hey, whatever you want to think of me or whatever kind of God you need, go ahead and make me up. So basically, God fits Bill Berg's image, right? Or God fits your image, right? I mean, sometimes we create our God like we create an ice cream sundae, right? Everybody creates it differently in the room, I guarantee it. But we create it, why? Because we like it. And so we create God like we like it, like we like him to be. But Jesus came as I am, not our invention, not as a prophet, not as a good teacher, not as just this godly man or this made-up me, you know, this little me, whatever, right? So who did Jesus say he was? The Bible says he is God in the flesh. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. At first glance, this might not seem to be a claim to be God. However, if we look at the Jews' reaction when Jesus said this, we realize that they tried to stone him. Why? Because he was blaspheming. They were saying, you're blaspheming because you, a mere man, claim to be God. John 10, 33. The Jews understood Jesus' statement as a claim to be God. In the following verses, Jesus never corrects the Jews or attempts to clarify his statement to them at all. He never says, no, 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 I, I didn't claim to be God. I didn't really mean that. No, when Jesus said, I am the Father, I am and the Father are one, 
in John 10.30, he truly was claiming equality with God. In John 8.58, Jesus claims this preexistence, an attribute of God. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered before Abraham, and Abraham was the first leader of the nation of Israel. But he says, hey, before Abraham was even born, I am, meaning I existed long ago before he was even born. And in response to this, the Jews again picked up stones and wanted to stone him to death. Why? Because he claimed this preexistence before Abraham. Jesus applied his name to God himself and he said, I am, meaning man, I have existed for eternity. The Jews rejected Jesus' identity as God in the flesh, but they fully understood what he was claiming to be. He was God. He wasn't a prophet, just a good teacher, a godly man, or a made-up me. He is God, the true and living God. But secondly, when we go out and we talk about our Jesus stories to other people, Jesus came for relationship, not religion. Jesus came for relationship with you and I, and you and our neighbors, you and our coworkers, you and our classmates, you and our community members. He came for relationship, not religion. You know, Jesus didn't take religion and mix it with politics, like so often Christians do today. Jesus wasn't into it at all. Jesus didn't use the local government of his time to bring change at all, nor did he expect the local government to bring the change. Matter of fact, in Mark 12, when the crowd came to Jesus and says, hey, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, well, bring me a denarius. And they bring him this Roman coin. And he says, well, who's on the Roman coin? Well, that's Caesar. Well, then he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Hey, let the government do what the government does. But give to God what's God. He didn't mix them. He didn't take religion and mix politics into it. But secondly, he didn't take religion and mix position and power. Jesus wasn't into it. He wasn't into, hey, I'm going to draw these incredible crowds, which in his day, he was the guy that drew these incredible crowds. I mean, thousands, 5,000, 10, I mean, whole towns would gather, but he didn't gather them so he could form a coup to overtake the Romans. And that's what so many Jewish leaders thought he would be or the Messiah would be. But Jesus didn't take religion and mix position and power with it. He wasn't into it. I mean, if he wanted to mix position and power and if that was his goal, he certainly wouldn't have hung out with the sinners of the day. They have no influence. I mean, the woman at the well, the leper, really? He wasn't into it. And Jesus didn't take religion 
and mix it with his passion, with passion. Jesus wasn't into it. Jesus didn't come to appease his own passion or his own prosperity. You know, so often, right, we promote religion so that God can give us what we want. And we make ourselves the big G and God the little G. And we think that God is here to serve us. And we're actually the big G and he's the little G. But Jesus wasn't into it. He wasn't into this, this passion of, you know, my father in heaven, just give me what I'm passionate about, what I want. No. He says this in John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He gave himself up. And so Jesus didn't mix religion with politics. He didn't mix it with his own position and power. Having this big gathering following or forming this coup, he didn't mix it with his own passion of like, this is what I want. Because it wasn't about religion. It was about wanting people to walk in relationship with him. That's why in Revelation 3.20, it says, here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock, the door of your life. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You know, in that culture, to eat with somebody meant that you were friends, that you were friends. That's why the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were so ticked off when Jesus was eating with the tax collectors and sinners. And they said, oh, look at this guy. He's the friend of sinners. Just because they were having a meal together, but that's what the picture was in that culture. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not into this religion thing where you mix it with politics and position and power and you mix it with your own passions. I'm in a relationship. Let's have a meal together. Let's be friends. So when we're out talking about Jesus to others, telling them our Jesus stories, Jesus came as the, the I am. He came as God, not our own invention. Ooh, this is who he is to me. Also, he came for relationship, not religion. And then lastly, Jesus came for salvation, not self-centeredness. We read in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. He says, now Jesus is going up to Jerusalem on the way. He took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Doesn't sound like someone that is on a self-centered mission, does it? You know, yeah, I'm going to go get flogged, crucified, beat up, spit on, whipped, flesh cut open. That's not self-centeredness, right? He was after something greater. It was the salvation for you and I on the cross. And it's so interesting, following that, we read that the mother of the Zebedee's sons, two disciples, James and John, came up to Jesus and said, you know, Jesus, as you go and you set up your kingdom, and she's thinking this physical kingdom, you know, in Jerusalem, as you set up your kingdom, can my two sons, one sit on your right and your left? And he's like, no, you're missing the boat. 
You know, they can't do what I'm going to be doing, lady. The other disciples heard about this, that, ooh, they're trying to get position of power with Jesus or whatever. And it says that they were indignant, they were mad. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't about self-centeredness, about self-serving. This is about salvation, sacrifice. And he says in Matthew 20, 26, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, the Jesus that we go out and we talk about is this Jesus that had nothing to do with self-centeredness, but everything to do with salvation. That's what he was about. That's what his desire was. Salvation for you and for me. And that is the story that he wants us to go share with others. Our Jesus stories. Just like we go share our fish stories, we'll be sharing our hunting stories. I was talking to Ben, the guitarist over here beforehand. We were talking about our hunting stories earlier this morning and that. And so when it comes to Jesus as the main character of our fish stories, God stories, Jesus came as I am, God, not our invention. And we want people to know that. Jesus came for relationship with you and I, not religion mixed with our politics and our position and power and our own passions. Oh, give me this, give me this, prosperity, this or whatever. And he came for salvation, not self-centeredness. Man, every day we roll out of bed, you know what we wrestle with the most? Self-centeredness. Jesus wasn't about it. He was about salvation and laying down his life. And that is what we want to communicate with our lives to others in this county and beyond so that they can know this Jesus. And so I want to leave you this, this, with this story of uh, two New Hopers, been around a while, Whitey and Sue Redfield, and their Jesus story and how we can just go out and tell ours. Let's watch. Hello, New Hope. My name is Whitey Redfield. I get the nickname Whitey probably 60 years ago. This is my wife, Sue, and I'm honored here to share my personal testimony, how Jesus has been a part of my life and how I found him many years ago. I think I was 15 years old. I grew up in a family with six brothers and one sister. I inherited uh, ADHD, which is kind of a mixed blessing, but with ADHD, there was major learning disabilities. I slowly got involved with drugs and the marijuana scene. And just with that learning disability, school was a major challenge. Then I was about 18, and me and a buddy hitchhiked down to Daytona Beach, Florida. So we spent six months on the beach, but again, I got heavily involved in, in um, the marijuana scene. I thought that to have fun was to party. I got into um, drinking a lot, going to parties with friends. The point in my life that really changed in my high school years was um, my brother was graduating from high school and we all went to the big field party that night. That morning, actually, we were all leaving to go back to school and we were going to go pick up my, my friend Stephanie. And Ron was driving and rolled the car. 
and it was a it was a bad rule. Um, he ended up dying, and I ended up going to the hospital in a coma. After that point, life was just um, a lot of questioning. Why did God take Ron and not me? There came a point when my my English teacher um, was constantly trying to convince me to go to Young Life. And at this point, I really wanted to know Jesus. And I, I, read, I was reading Corinthians, and I was reading about the Holy Spirit, and I was reading how Christ can come into your heart, and you can be filled with the Spirit. And I kept on reading and reading and reading. And um, I sat in my mom's living room, and I asked God to come into my heart. Yeah, I returned from Florida, and again, I, I was continued to stay in the the marijuana scene, but I noticed myself that I was doing it to escape, and there was emptiness in my heart and my life, and I was getting depressed. But my sister, who was a few years younger, would stop every Friday night to invite me to this church with her group of friends. Me and my buddy decided to go, and, and then they had the altar call, and I had this pride. I still didn't want to go forward, but my buddy Dave says, we're going forward. So we went forward, accept Jesus into our life, and I felt the Holy Spirit come into me, and I made a commitment to follow Jesus, and I can remember the next day, him and I went down to Lake Nokomis. We threw our marijuana and pipes into the lake, and since then, Jesus has continued to bless me every day of my life. Ever since I had that experience, that spiritual experience with Christ and the Holy Spirit filling me, um, life has never been the same. I could never, ever, in my whole entire life, ever go back. We had a wedding verse that we vowed to um, to to say every day and to, to live by, and that is, this is the day which the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And each day I try to live by that. And, and um, just like I tell my students at school, you can come to school with a bad attitude or a poor attitude. It's a choice. And it's a choice to be joyful or not be joyful. Um, life is short and I choose joy in everything I do, I try to anyway. So after I threw my marijuana in the lake, you know, I, and I was blessed when I was 15 to go to this YMCA camp, and this college recruiter came to recruit my younger brother. And I'm sitting at the table and he says, what about you? Would you like to go to college? And I started laughing. I said, I graduated from Anoka. I was at the bottom of the class. I got this major learning disability. So that was my introduction to go to this small Bible college, Golden Valley Lutheran Bible College, where I met my wonderful wife. And God helped me get to four years of college. And through that experience, I, I got to work with kids my whole life. My first career was working with kids in treatment. To my last 15 years, my wife and I got to teach kids. Earlier I talked about these disabilities. Sometimes that was a curse, but in the end it was a blessing because all these kids I worked with had disabilities, so I could empathize with them, I could understand them. I have so many more stories that I would love to share how Jesus has blessed our lives. So this is our Jesus story.